Welcome in everyone. Another edition of the Equally Responsible Opinion Show. Huge special guest. I would say our first biggest guest of the show. And unfortunately, my co-host couldn't be here. But I'm so happy to have King Josiah. He is the king of NBA Twitter, a.k.a. Josiah Johnson, to my left. Sir, thank you for coming in. I really appreciate it. Where's your co-host at? Yo, work. Okay, you I know. respect <laughs> it. Hey, get your bag. Get your bag always, always. <laughs> So, so it's so funny because like you like you done a podcast and you're like now going into this like new medium and my friends and I during the pandemic were like we should start a podcast we should do it and it was probably pre podcast but then it was like four dudes with four different schedules all trying like trying to meet up it's like one of the hardest things yeah. to do <laughs> it's so tough think about being a band or any of those type of things you know trying to like make short films or whatever when you're coming up in the game early on and you gotta basically work your square shift and that's the thing I was to preach to people that are coming up like work your square job but then you can't be burned out from the square job because you gotta do the job that you wanna do so you can get the bag where you don't have to do your square job anymore exactly it's like you're a passion project and how can you turn your passion into money but it, it, it feels like a second job and it's not comfortable that's that's like when you want to try and get to this level like when I first came in the game I was, I was at NFL Network and running a website called Jersey Chaser and, and was literally running on the low like only a few people I'm sure you, I might have talked to you about it or whatever oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> only a few people sparingly knew about it around the office because it was kind of like a secret thing I didn't want to get pinched by the NFL but uh, was working like 18, 20 hour days working those replay shifts and I would come oh. home for another two hours after that. We might get off like two in the morning and I, I would stay up to like 3.30, 4am then have to be back in for like that 7am rotation to go get it. So some people saw me, I was like burnt but still getting it done, still producing hitters. Some of your favorite <laughs> NFL replays. Still, well, it's, still. It's so funny because I think people like, first of all, like all this is Amazon. Like yeah. it's so easy to purchase all this and be like, okay guys, let's do this. And yeah. Someone told me a podcast is like having a baby. Yeah. Like everyone can have one, but not everyone should have one. Yeah, for sure, for sure. <laughs> and I feel like it's so easy for people to do it. It's like, no, my voice needs to be heard. But then once you actually get it and people are like, no, no, no. Like, yeah, you can talk into a microphone and upload it to multiple websites, but do you like how much do you really want to put into this? Same thing with social. Same thing with people trying to be musicians or whatever things you you know. Sometimes the most talented people don't get to the level that they should because they don't understand how to put in the work or whatever. And my whole thing now is being efficient. Like back in the day, it would be you know working twenty hour days. Now it's like I got to get that number to like five or six and be able to accomplish what I used to accomplish in twenty. But just by knowing like Shawshank, knowing the different hustles, <laughs> learning okay, learning how to crawl through that poop to get out to be like, all right, now I'm free. Like yeah, and I think it's so tough now because there are so many people who have like their eyes on this big prize and all they can see is the like tunnel vision in the end, but they don't know like the ways to get there. Yeah. Um, for me, it's when you think about people who get like bought out by a Spotify or like get a like a deal with YouTube it's like yeah but those people started putting a lot of work to yeah. do this and the, like this is the easy part it's like the uploading and all that stuff as you know that's like the tough part no I mean all this stuff is hard but you learn the grind you learn how to go and generate numbers or you don't and you know whatever your, your measure of success is for whatever some people just want to do pods because they want to you know hang out with their friends and talk me, I'm more numbers-driven, bag-driven. Once you get a family and kids and bills, the bills start coming. It's like, ooh, okay, I mean, I, less passion and more like I need bags while I'm doing the things I'm passionate about because I know I'm going to go harder at those. Then, you know, we've all worked jobs that it's like, man, I don't, don't want to be here. I mean, yeah, am exactly. I allowed to curse on this podcast? Oh, absolutely, okay, yeah. Okay. You know, we've all done shit, and it's like, man, I don't really want to fucking be here, man. Like, I mean, the check's good, and it's really just debating in your head whether that – check is good enough to keep you to want to be doing that thing yeah but then you might get complacent and then 10 years down the line like damn i'm still doing this shit and the check's been a little bit better like a two three percent increase if you're good at negotiating with your employer but that's not enough then you look no. at wait such such making this to do like this dude who drives the ferrari like he's only here way less time and he's getting <laughs> a much bigger bag so how do i get that bag yeah exactly it's always fine when you first start they say you should look at like who drives what car when you're yeah. in the parking garage and then see what they do. That, I definitely noticed that. 
every job I've always taken, I'm like, all right, who's the person here that I want to be like? Mm. Like, who's the person here that has the most swag, the most, you know? <laughs> all that. And it's like, I look back, and it's like people like Mike Miriano, who was at NFL Network, who went over to Amazon. Like, but it's like swag. Okay. Okay. You know, <laughs> good look. You do like swag. All right. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm, all right. Yeah. So I want to move like this. Like, dudes like that. But, you know, work with a ton of great people. So I don't want anybody to see this and be like, well, Dan, how can you want to move like me? Like, just, <laughs> maybe maybe look at the mirror. I don't know. Yeah, Andrew Cecilian is looking at you like, why didn't you want to move like me? <laughs> <laughs> but, no, you talk about, like, uh, how much you've done, like, on Twitter and your social presence and all that stuff. But I want to go back. Okay. So, like, I met you at NFL, but, like, I want to go back even before that. So you played basketball at UCLA. Something like that. I, Some, was, I was on the team. You were on the team. Well, then tell me about, like, one, like, just your journey to UCLA and what was your experience like playing or not playing at UCLA? So grew up in L.A., uh, you know, was, was extremely undersized. So I went to Crenshaw for my freshman and sophomore year, but I was, like, 5'7 as a freshman. I think I spurted out to, like, 6'1", 6'2 as a sophomore. But if you don't think about Crenshaw, they keep a, a heavy roster full of dudes who are grown-ass men. Yeah. So guys I'm playing with, like, 17, 18, you know, guys, like, I think of, like, guys like Armand Thomas, like, literally built, you know, like a fucking grown man at that point. As, yeah. like, a 17-year-old, like, damn, dog, this, like, me looking at my body compared it to his stuff. So, you know, I had to talk with my dad, and I just wasn't kind of there skill-wise. So we, we shifted over to Montclair Prep for junior and senior year, got to really develop under uh, Coach Bob Webb and Coach Howard Abrams and Greg Patterson over there. Two years over there, kind of grew to like six seven, six seven and a half. You just say six eight, but it's really like six seven. You, any hooper knows you know how to finagle on the physical form to get the height that you want to achieve, and they got to basically use that as like you know HIPAA violations, things like that. You can't really you can't really alter that and be like, wait, it's like no, that's what you put. Look at the pen, same pen color, but um. Yeah, so played at Montclair Prep, was blessed to be uh, like a USA Today honorable mention uh, on the honorable mention team as a senior high school, got recruited by UCLA, Steve Lavin, who was over there, went on my recruiting trip, uh, had an amazing time with guys like Tom Ramazar and Sean Farnham, who hosted me, and Ray Young, who hosted me as well. No-brainer, committed in the locker room, I think, before a game they had. I want to say it was like maybe like Oregon State or somebody like that, but for maybe Washington, Washington, say something like that. But before the game, you know, got yeah. the, the whole the whole, whole Westwood, Westwood experience. Yeah, you got to be there for 48 hours, staying at the W back when the W in Westwood. It's always been lit, but it was it was probably at your closest to lit, littest point where George Clooney's <laughs> and those type of people would be rolling through there. Yeah. So, uh, you know, just had a great time over there. For me, it was like UCLA, UCSB. It was actually getting recruited by Skip Prosser, who uh, was coaching at Xavier at the time, but he ended up going to Wake Forest, coaching Chris Paul and that crew oh, over there. Wow. Yeah, so Skip was a legend. I was really close to going to Xavier in Ohio, didn't know anything about it, but I'm sorry, I can go to Ohio, get away from family and friends, kind of yeah. go, go the Austin Crozier route where, you know, he went to, uh, where do you like, Providence, something like that, but he was from Santa Monica. Just get your hoop on, literally in, in, yeah. in the less ideal conditions where you can't really turn up. But <laughs> UCLA came calling, you know, and I, I was, you know, I had to do it. I had to follow that that family legacy. So it's so funny because you say Montclair Prep, and I had a, I like went to a basketball like camp or clinic at Montclair Prep, and it doesn't exist anymore, right? Yes. Like it closed, like that's crazy. Montclair Prep went the way of the dodo. Had a ton of famous alumni: Michael Jackson, Robin Thicke, Chris Johnson, my older brother, Josiah Johnson, uh, Nikki Ritchie. Thing like Vanessa Vanessa Chesler, uh, who is a a big 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 uh, big time actress. Like, uh, yeah, but you know we uh, P T Anderson who wrote Boogie Nights, my favorite movie of all time. Oh, Me and P T had the same uh, English teacher, Miss Sack. Shout out, uh, <laughs> got an A in her class, got a five on the AP English, so definitely did my thing in that class for everybody. Be smart too, guys. Don't just worry about hoops or your things in high school. Really. <laughs> 
Get buckets in the classroom as well. <laughs> I love Boogie Nights because, like, I'm from Reseda. So whenever people are like, where are you from? I'm like, I'm from Reseda. I'm like, well, what's that? And I'm like, if you watch Boogie Nights, the opening scene is, like, Reseda Theater on White Oak and, I think, Sadaqua. I'm yeah. like, that's down the street from my house. You know? And everyone's like, oh, but Karate Kid. I'm like, oh, I guess. Yeah, he was from, no, from Reseda, too. So Eddie Adams was from Torrance, Dirk Diggler, but used to take the bus to Reseda to go work at uh, the club. <laughs> See? Reseda, man. Hot hey. tracks, I believe, until the Rodriguez brothers bought it in a G, but it's a Q. Oh, it's a Q. It's a <laughs> uh, dude, it's uh, it's so funny how much stuff happened like that time that I was not a part of because Reseda looks vastly different yeah. than what they were portraying, which also is so interesting because not to derail this conversation, but I grew up a University of Kentucky basketball fan. Okay, that's where my dad went to school. Okay, and then the first college football game I ever went to was in 2002, a USC football game. Okay, so like right before they hit their heyday. So like I'm not like hating on UCLA, but there was never like a strong opinion of UCLA. But I, I respect how great the program is. Basketball school. Basketball school. But that's my question. So you guys make the Final Four last year, come oh so close to making it to like a national championship. But you guys haven't won a national championship since 1995. Well, so what? Like, what, like, give me the history of like UCLA. Like, do you think it's down? Do you think it's coming back? Here's the thing: that I don't think people really grasp. There's like what 300 and like 20 something Division One colleges. There's one national champion every year. So obviously UCLA won 10 during Wooden dominated. And you know they they made rules to try to stop us. We came through and still got that 10 piece for you guys. <laughs> Uh, all the way from Kareem, uh, you know, uh, Gail Goodrich, all the way to my dad, Marcus Johnson, who was on Wooden's last team. And then my brother was on the 95 team, so I was actually a ball boy on that squad. So I got to really be there and experience that whole year, 94, 95. was probably one of the, my favorite years of basketball, just to be around guys like Ed O'Bannon, uh, Tyus Edney, George Zedek. Obviously, UCLA had the fab the fab freshman crew with, with uh, Toby Bailey, my brother, J.R. Henderson, Oma Givens. You know, just, just being around the way that team came together, Cameron Dollar, Kevin Dempsey, like everybody, you know, you remember those names on the roster just because there were so many just legends on that squad. Even David Harbour, I think, was like a grad assistant who played a modern day, but I remember he had like the 40-inch vert. He used to really, really, really go hard. But, uh, you know, so you look at those those teams and that experience, man, and, and, and look, it's, it's been, what, 25 years now, 26 years, something like that. Obviously, you know, Ben Howland had a great run with three straight Final Fours. You run into some juggernauts in yeah, Florida and Memphis yeah. of the world that, you know, get in the way that one of the, my favorite college basketball games ever was with the year after I graduated, they beat Gonzaga. Uh, I want to say what, like the six, three, 16 or the lead day, whatever it was. And even that moment, you just felt like that squad had so many just killers on it. Darren Collison, Farmar, Lorenzo oh, yeah. Mata, the, the yeah. living legend, Low yeah. Measy. But, uh, <laughs> you know, and it's, it's just a difficult thing. Like you're going up against Kentucky, these other spots, but you'd like to hope that UCLA can get to that point. I think we're really moving in that direction. We had obviously great leadership under Dan Guerrero. Dan recently stepped down. Martin Jarman has come come in to take over stuff. And the thing about, you know, Dan between Martin and not to compare or bash or whatever, but Martin Jarman's a hooper. So Hooper's no Hoopers. Like, I, I roll with Hoopers, but he just has kind of a Hooper's mentality. He's come in like, let's really make Westwood cracking, really really yeah. going heavy on the social. And obviously because the pandemic had to adjust, but really building UCLA back up to what it, the Lord should have. Like, for me, UCLA should be on the same plane as the Lakers. Like, when you come to campus, you should be cracking. Like, right. a person like yourself should be wanting to go to UCLA just to hang out as opposed to SC or whatever. Yeah, turn sure. up in Westwood or whatever it may be. be. Just be around it. Like, that's what we felt in 95 with that national championship team. That's what Mick Cronin's really helped bring back to Westwood, you know, this, this past season with this squad and just rallying them together. And, and they were extremely fun to watch. Obviously, I think they're, like, preseason number one or top five. It's interesting that you bring up Ed O'Bannon. 
Yeah. Because like he has done so much in the background yeah. for NCAA players. And with this whole passing of the name, image, and likeness thing, for someone like you who was like, hey, I'm still on the team, I'm still on the bench, but I do have a name. And I'm thinking like in today's present you yeah. know, atmosphere, social media, all that stuff. How do you think that's going to change college athletics? Because as someone who grew up in L.A., I'm like, oh, this has to put UCLA, USC, like all the big cities on top. Like no disrespect to Lexington, Kentucky or Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Why would I go there when I can literally go to Westwood, go to the W and make like money on the side? And get a bag is the most important thing. <laughs> you can now come to L.A., you can get a bag. Like, you know, everybody knows the Fresh Prince opening theme song. You can really live that wherever you're at in the country. You can do that. And now just your home's the ballet, and you're literally going to be right there when you go to UCLA. So, for me, I'll always uplift and boost UCLA. SC kind of in the hood. Not, <laughs> not You know, they're, they're really gentrifying. and You know, it's kind of sad to see, but really kind of pushing out, obviously, a, a lot of the black and minority community in there to kind of make SC look more palatable and appealable yeah. to, a, to a certain demo that's, that's putting up the most bread. But UCLA also has that situation going on. Just But, you know, we've got nicer campus, obviously, uh, nicer facilities, nicer athletes, more gold. <laughs> we're getting more gold medals, just whatever. Okay. More natties. <laughs> just the basic stuff. So if you're, if you're an athlete across any sport, and now you can come to LA and all. Hey, you want to go be in a movie? You want to go? Like, you seen Entourage before, right? You want to go meet fucking you know the guys who created it? You know, yeah. you want to go Soho House and go see William H Macy just like sipping on some coffee, like just minding <laughs> his business on a, on a regular day. Want to hit the bungalow in Santa Monica? Just basic things. But for these kids to be able to come out here now and get a bag is honestly makes my heart flutter, makes my heart warm. But it also is like, all right. We saw what Ed did, and I think I got like a three or four hundred dollar check from the NCAA as a hey, result. Turn up. Yeah, but it's not enough. That's, I mean, it's not. It that's not a lot more. of money. Guys. <laughs> that four hundred was quick. I still owe Ed Abandon some tacos. He knows this. We will. <laughs> we will get this. Hopefully, we can film it. We can get this going. Whatever yeah, yeah. tacos you want, Ed chorizo, estada, chicken. You want some veggies? I don't know what you're on right now. Where, Maybe where on that spiritual veg. Best taco spot in LA. We're He's Vegas though, so but oh, I'm, okay. I might have to hit like tacos El Gordo or ah, something that's like that. That's what I was thinking. Okay. They got one. Hey, bro, they got one in Vegas by the win. I hit it the other day. It was honestly, it was a, it was a just the different stations, and I don't know how they're built across the in LA. I've never been. I know Low Mata. That's like one of his spots he goes to. But when you walk in, they got the different like asadas. Like you can get a side of whatever here. You can get whatever, and it's just like fresh. Like it's like being at an amusement park when they make your meal right in front of you. So but beautiful. that line is long. Just that's yeah. why, like, if you go to Vegas, like tacos El Gordo, like it's fantastic. But that line is. I went midday. I'm, I'm 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 a I'm a non-peak hour type of human being. Oh, I don't. Two, I'm a two a.m. three a.m. Yeah, see, I don't rock with peak hours. <laughs> the fight star, you get stabbed. You know, you don't know the the, the quality or veracity of your chorizo or your asada or your. Oh. <laughs> you know, I mean, you just don't know. It's late night. It's not that fresh early morning crew, but you know, it is what it is. Uh, was actually interesting because I think the name, image, and likeness as of as of right now is like the wild wild west, and I do think when you have. 16 17 18 year olds who are making all these decisions it's really gonna be like hey guys like this is gonna be a big decision when it comes to not only like your playing time and your education but as you say getting a bag and you brought up your father a couple times who also played at ucla but also played in the nba yeah so what was it like having a father who already had that experience to like navigate you through the UCLA's of the world and like all that type of stuff, which not everyone might have at this point in their life. So for me, I, I'm, I'm very, very keen and cognizant of the privilege that I had. My dad played in the league. He got a, a nice bag. It was, it was fluffy. It wasn't the fluffiest it could be. I definitely had, you know, looking back, like, you know, we could have, we could have had the, a bigger bag and living, you know, a, a better life, you know, <laughs> life was great. Don't get me wrong. I'm not hating, 
But uh, just saying, like, you know, people people assume, like, oh, you, you know, your dad was making hundreds of millions of dollars. Like, he made some good bread. But, you know, we we, we, we started in Bel Air. We had a small crib in Bel Air. It wasn't like anything like, it wasn't anything like you saw on, the, like, the TV show. Right. Then moved to a View Park. View Park, a lovely neighborhood, lovely, one of the most affluent black communities in the country. Say, yeah. Currently going through some situations, like like a lot of. Uh, fluent black places in the country. Now everybody's like, "Oh, damn! This is century located. We we can we can slide in here too." And <laughs> now we'll call it Lower View Park or what? You know, it's not yeah. like Lamert Park anymore. It's like Lower Lower Windsor, whatever it's called. It's like, but you know, so you know, it's blessed to have a good life and fortunate for all that stuff. But I look at other guys and their experiences weren't like that. So when you're at college, you know, you can you can run the whole gamut of guys in terms of what their financial and family situations are like. And you got a lot of guys who are super reliant, independent. And that's the sad thing. I say like college is like an institution like Shawshank, right? Like everything I'll kind of always compare everything to work, college, all that stuff. But you learn just the tricks. Like as athletes, you learn, all right, if I need a little extra bread, here's certain things I can do that maybe skirt or bend the rules a little bit at the current time because I need a bag. And like, yo, you know, I've never fought the guys. I think even like, you know, I'm a UCLA guy, but a guy like Reggie Bush, like it broke my heart to see the way that he was treated after everything he did for that university. Still being treated like that Still now, being treated like, like that. We're not going to give you your Heisman back. It's like, come on, for real? It's we're like, still doing what, this? What are we, like, as much bread as everybody made off of Reggie, and there's a lot of square loser motherfuckers who'd be like, oh, well, that was the rules, whatever. It's like, shut, like, yeah. Like, there was a time when, like, slavery were the rules. So were you that person back then? Like, oh, well, that's the rules, slave. So just <laughs> yeah. get your ass back in the field and, like, be happy. Like, I no. feel the same way about marijuana. Yeah. It's like, hey, let's expunge all these criminals who have marijuana on their record. Well, they got caught, but it's like, but now you have billionaires making money off of something that this person who had like a bag of weed is going to jail for. And, but you, Curtis, as you get older, you start to learn the, the rhyme and reason for why these things happen. Like, all right, we can attack a certain community, right, and really, you know, incriminate them at a much higher rate than we can other communities. You know, make crack cocaine significantly more punishment than, than regular cocaine, which is significantly stronger because there's a certain sect of the country that does regular cocaine and there's a certain sect that does crack. So, right, oh, exactly. but now we'll punish and target these people. So it's a fucked up work because I'm a big like advocate of marijuana. And I look especially in L.A. and California. California was kind of ahead of the curve in terms of legalizing it. But, you know, it wasn't always seen that way in athletics. And you're looking at, like, Shikari and everything that, she, that happened with her. She couldn't go to the Olympics because she smoked a blunt or two. It's like, give me a fucking break, dog. Yeah, like, exactly. it's, I mean, you know, it's not like performance enhancing or whatever. It comes from the earth. It's beautiful. Like I'm saying, <laughs> you can grow it in your house just like oregano and just like basil. <laughs> you can sprinkle it on your food. just so happens to get you right. But they'll, they'll say shit like that but have no problem. I know there was some guy with, like, some, like, sexual assault shit going on that had no issue going to compete in the Olympics. And it's uh-huh. like – is that what these rings represent? Like, what are we talking yeah. about here? So I think, you know, looking at those type of things, especially those type of situations, like, yeah, marijuana kind of affected and ruined a lot of people's careers. I think about a guy like Clay Thompson when he was at Washington State, had to, like, you know, go in front of the whole crowd and apologize. It's like, for fucking what? <laughs> yeah, for weed, like. For smoking fire? Anybody who's been to Washington knows they've got that purple. And that shit is, <laughs> that shit is beautiful. It's a little soggy, but it's fire. It's a little soggy. I'm be, But it, when you see the purple, it's like, oh, my God, it's purple. Uh- <laughs> I love the fact that now we're seeing more and more athletes like do the CBD thing. Yeah. Because they were ahead of the curve on that, which is so funny how when people are like anti-vaxxers, I don't know what's in it, but you have athletes. Like when I hear athletes say that, but it's like if a doctor recommends you this shot, yeah. you just end up taking it because it can help you get back in the game. Motherfuckers take some Toradol quick. Yeah. But, but trying to tell me about what's in the vaccine, you'll get shot up for whatever to go get a couple extra buckets or catch a touchdown or run a little harder or whatever. Exactly. But yeah, and that's um, the thing that frustrates me. And I've been a big advocate of people getting getting vaccinated. I think at this point, obviously, I can understand people in the black community can have some hesitation and reservations about doing Absolutely. it considering yeah. this country's history yeah. of, of yeah. doing situations. 100%. But simultaneously, like, look, you're seeing the real evidence. I've like been to UCLA and I've seen that experience of what it's like just to have the COVID tents everywhere. And, 
you know, like the way that healthcare workers, my wife's a radiologist and, and the things that they're dealing with on her side, all the doctors that she's friends with, and just the way they've been treated by this country and how disrespectful and everybody thinks like, look, I think capitalism is really like fucked up and war people's brains and not to get too preachy or whatever, but to the point where they think that like, those are the people you got to blame. And really, like, doctors, like, you know, the majority of doctors, like, the majority of police officers, they take that oath with the goal of actually doing good. Right. I, at some point, you know, some get corrupted and jaded, and that just is what it is. You find that in any field. But for the most part, they're trying to save people's lives. As, as any human being, you don't want to be in a hospital and, like, damn, I got to watch all these people die. I want to save them. That's, like, yeah. I'd imagine the thrill of saving a life is a lot better than, like, oh, having to, like, call a parent and tell them that the child just died because – or pull out the – you know, the iPad and show them a video of them all tubed up in, in the hospital. So, but I'm just to say, like, you know what I mean? Like, so you just look at the world and how fucked up it is in terms of people's assumptions and all that. And even, like, a league like the NFL now where guys are like, oh, I'm still not going to do it. Yeah. It's like, damn, we're going to take your bag and you're still, like, refusing to just get a shot real quick. And you will get shot up with, like you said, anything under the fucking sun yeah. if a trainer tells you it'll make you play better. And it's like, this shit will actually make you play better because if you get the Rona, you're not now sidelined and whatever. But it's, it, the game is the game. And ultimately, you hope that people are going to get it together and going to realize what the fuck's going on. Like, I don't think any of us loved being locked up. I'm sure, like, Bezos and, Bezos and people like that, yeah. they're getting yeah. baggioli But, you know, the average human being, like, you know, didn't want to be locked up and fucking feeling like that. So why would you not want to? Because it's like you got to be locked up and people were so giddy to, like, go out again. And now it's just like, all right, now the numbers rose again, just like fucking experts said they would. Now it's like, just go get vaccinated. You have a solution where even if you go out now, it's like, I've, I've been vaccinated, so now I can move a little bit different now. Absolutely. I can do things like this and not be like, all right, keep seven feet and fucking whatever. Like, yeah. we'll keep our space and obviously keep, keep you know, respectful of COVID protocols. But knowing that if it does come to that, like, there's a much more significant chance that I'll be able to pull through it without as many issues. But that's me personally. You oh, know. no. I'm, my, my sister's a healthcare worker. I'm very, like, go get vaccinated. And you talk about the NFL. Like, it's so stupid when you look at Kirk Cousins quarterback Minnesota Vikings I'll do anything for my team to win well go get the fucking shot because that's going to cost your team Ron Rivera cancer survivor hey hey team like I'm at risk if you don't get the vaccine and players are still like yeah well fuck personal choice it's it's not a personal choice but again go get a fucking shot if you ever listen to the show Victor and I always say that and you know wear your mask and all that good stuff Um, but I do want to wear your mask (laughs) wear your damn mask I do want to switch to some NBA stuff because people do call you the king of NBA Twitter so how did you get that title? And then like, what are you doing on a daily bit? Because I follow you on Twitter, obviously. But like, you just always have the memes. Quick, 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 quick. How are you able to do that like day in and day out? And like, how did you get like the following that you have now? Well, Chris, I've been doing market research just on social media <laughs> since the early 2000s. Like just, but understanding the things that trended well, that tracked well, that performed well, that people engaged with stuff they didn't engage with and just how to move and shake. And then as, as you get to certain levels, it's like being in the NBA, knowing how to get your shot. Like, all right, like, you know, a guy like a Blake Griffin or LeBron, early in their careers, they're going to the rim hard, dunking, all that type of shit. As you get older, like, you know, you start landing sometimes, like, ooh, I need a jumper so I don't have to do that. So just perfecting strategies and ways to constantly put out content that people want to engage with, that are relatable, that people can really, you know, take trips back down memory lane. And, like, I, I was trying to tell people, I, I make content for people that are in my age demo and generation. I'm not – you know, if the public at large loves something I put up, great. But at the end of the day, it's like people who grew up in the same time frame as me. You get boomerang references, Boys in the Hood references, New Jack City references, like the black content culture. we've seen. Yes, the, the things that we've all experienced. Going to see Boys in the Hood in the movie theater, I was like nine or ten years old, and having some crips in the back of the theater screaming at the screen. 
and it was like, this is just a movie going experience. Now. You know what I'm <laughs> saying? Like, but those things really resonate because it's like, damn, I remember the movie just as much for that as I literally saw it in Culver City because that was like, the, we felt like it would be a little safer on this side. There was a theater over here, like right before Main Street was Main Street, I think right over somewhere in this area. It didn't look anything like it does now. Oh, that, yeah, I heard Culver, gentrifying yeah. Culver. <laughs> you already know, but I remember those moments, and I'm a big, like, cinephobe, you know what I mean? Like a cinephile, I don't even know what it is, but whoever, what, cinephile, like cinephile. I'm a big cinephile. <laughs> I get, I'm shout out to a mean. We both know. Yeah, yeah both for sure. Love. <laughs> and Zach, the, the legends, like, let me let me come on that shit and bless him with some ism. But so I watch a ton of movies and I just have a, a, a Rolodex of all these. Like, a DJ knows what songs to play. Like, I look at D Nice and how he was dominating the pandemic, kind of just knowing right. the right songs to play at the right time, going for eight, nine, ten straight hours. I can do the same thing with memes and content. I know a lot of people consume media differently. So, really using these memes and this content is also a form of just breaking news to people that they might not have been aware of. Hey, such and such did this, that, or whatever. I'll generally have a meme for it. Hey, you know, Nerlens Noel filed a suit on Rich Paul. I got a, some type of response that'll literally let people know where I stand on whatever particular situation is going on in the world. But you know, memes have become the most effective form of communication too, for like Gen Z, millennials, and even some boomers who are trying to stay young and relevant. <laughs> but it's quick, easy. People can relate to whatever that scene is, and I can get a message across without having to implicitly say X, Y, or Z. Just here, here's a photo you know the scene like okay this is if you can correlate what's going on in that moment you can know what's going on do you think more and more social media companies are accounts are gonna like are biting from your style oh you know look this wasn't a style i necessarily created i definitely feel like i uh, helped elevate it and yes i do see a number of people moving in the same vein using a similar vernacular that they didn't use previously but start to notice the way that my stuff trends and moves if you notice there's a there's a cadence and a pattern that i go to it's more like text form like i don't you know, I, I, you know, I'm not going to give away too much ism because I'm charging you guys for this in the near future, so just be prepared. But uh, seriously, like, you know, because I see the way I move and shake. And for me, it's, you know, you know people that work in social that live that world, but they work in social. This is like a passion for me, so I don't believe in shifts. I don't wake up in the morning like, ooh, I can't post this because my shift didn't start yet. Yeah. Where you get a lot of people now that are coming to this game and treating it like a job, kind of similar, I guess, to how we did when we went to start working at, as PAs or whatever at networks and stuff, some of us. Some people go in, people like yourself, like, all right, this is my job, but I'm trying to learn all this other shit. So this is basically like a free education for me that I'm going to get paid for. Exactly. So I'm going and asking the TD what he does, the director what they do, asking the audio people, shout out to Del Tufo, the <laughs> little, what's going, what the fuck is, like, what's all this shit mean? You know, just to have a basic knowledge, how to go in now to, uh, the, the control area and, and pull up the monitor to help TLC so now they don't got to get up from their area to go route it for me because I don't know how to, you know, but just learning these type of things, I always learn like, all right, what's going to make everybody else's job easier and make them fuck with me when I come in as opposed to be like, oh, here this motherfucker comes. You yeah, because yeah. you work with people like that. Where it's like, damn, his motherfucker, you know, he's gonna want some shit, not gonna ask for it the correct way. I'm gonna feel like fighting this motherfucker <laughs> just because he's gonna say some fuck shit to me. Yeah. Where it's like, oh, here comes Josiah. He's going to be cool. Like, look, I know you're your swamp. Whatever. Can we get this line open so we can get this fed out? We got a show that's running in two hours. Whatever it may yeah. be. And now they're more inclined. Like, oh, you asked that politely. Like, came in respectfully. Oh, what kind of candy y'all like? I'm going to go slide y'all that. <laughs> oh, hey, food just food just showed up for whatever. You know, yeah. hey, like, you know, there's a bunch of leftover whatever in the, you know, the other building. Just simple shit. Yeah. That really, again, like another institution that helps people really, like, rock with you. So I always look at it. For all those of you who want to get into TV production or even social or radio or whatever it is, I always compare it to working at a restaurant. Yeah. Because, again, that's, like, my dad, like, service industry. That was my first job. And if you ever watch the movie uh, Waiting with Ryan Reynolds. The GOAT! (laughs) Hilarious movie. But there's a scene in that movie 
where they're doing like a pandering view of like how each department helps everyone. It's like if you're mean to the hostess, they're not gonna seat you. Yeah. If you're mean to the waitress, they're gonna like mess up your food order. If you're mad to like the cooks, they're gonna mess with your food. Mm. If you're mad to the busboys, they're not gonna clean up your table, so you can't turn around your tables quick enough. Yeah. So you're not making more money. Yeah. Same way it should be like when you go into any line of work where it's like everything is connected and we're all a team, which I know every corporate has like, they say, but they say that on words and pamphlets and shit. But then yeah. you, you break the huddle, and it's like you know, motherfuckers are going rogue. They're they're running different plays that weren't <laughs> yeah. called, and you know, yeah. just that's how it goes. But if people can have that mentality, of like, hey, if you do this, it's gonna help that person, which is not gonna help that person, which is ultimately gonna come back around and help you. So just my life, life, life. The way the universe could work as well. If oh. you, like if if I sacrifice a little on my end, like, hey, I know, like this person might be having a bad day or they just got annoyed by somebody else who I had nothing to do with. Oh, I'm going to come in like, what's up, dog? Like, I know you're a Titans fan, like, you know, randomly, but <laughs> whatever, like, you know, whatever's going on. Back in those days, Vince Young, that type of shit, like, oh, he'll pull it together. Uh, but, you know, so I just think that you look at any place you go into, and that's the thing, especially like a lot of kids nowadays I don't think really understand and grasp, is it comes with like a sense of entitlement and like, you got to do like the dirty work to learn how to do the good shit. Like, you're not yeah. going to become a good producer by skipping all the hardship. Like, you got to log, you know, for an entire day. Yeah. Find those coaches you fucking, you like them as human beings, but you despise them during logs because they don't shut the fuck up. And it's like, all right, dog, you're talking for an extra 20 minutes about shit that literally, I can't use any of these bites for any show or program. Thank you for this history lesson and all that other good shit. But what's up with such and such injury? Or what, yeah. you know, what'd you think on Wrap that? Wrap it that, up. What was that play on the last drive? Like, what you know, things like that. Yeah, it's like the Dave Chappelle box. Wrap it up. Um, I'm so glad that you're wearing the hat you're wearing because I want to get to this. Uh, for those of you who can't see, uh, Josiah's wearing his purple and gold goat hat with 23 on it for LeBron. So you've been saying LeBron's the goat. Yeah. And you have the lebron Taraj. So how did you become such a big LeBron fan? Like, you're uh, not from Cleveland. Like, you almost went to Xavier, as I just found out. But, like, you're from L.A. Like, why not, like, why not Shaq? Kareem, Magic, like what? What do you all, think? All, makes- those, all those human beings, great, but I feel like just the timing wise, like as a great a talent evaluator and coming up around the, I'm a, I'm a few years older than LeBron, but just seeing the way that you know when you saw him play in high school, just the way as a high school is like this dude is a grown ass man, like this, yeah. he's going to be really good at basketball. He may very well be in that upper echelon of players in high school. Obviously, ESPN, all the networks come out and filming them, and everybody's making their bread off of him. He goes pro. They actually came to. His senior year of high school, 2003, they came to UCLA. They used our locker room. We were away at a game. This was like January, February, I think, like MLK Classic. Shout out to Dinos and that crew. Um, and came to LA, used our locker room. LeBron used our locker. I mean, LeBron was in our locker room, so he used my locker. So there was this famous shot in Sports Illustrated of him stretching out. You can see my chair with my name on it. So I remember seeing that. I'm like, oh, this motherfucker's a legend. Like, you know, because at that point, like, I know the locker room. I know that Johnson 54 on that chair belongs to me. Oh, LeBron's in my joint. He literally walked in this locker room. I was like, all right, I'm fucking with this one. Yo, so, kiss me. Boom. So we've had a connection ever since then. And it's sad. I look back on, you know, just a situation with LeBron and Kobe fans and really, like, you know, I'm, I'm a when I want to be a petty bitch and a grade-A instigator if, at any point. So the, the battles we used to have with each other, the shit, the, the mud they used to get slung and, and all this good stuff and to know how much – LeBron and Kobe really rocked and fucked with each other. So, thankfully, when LeBron came to the Lakers, it was like, all right, let's all water under the bridge. Let's move on. You know, you know, whatever was said before, you know, Kobe can be your goal. LeBron can be our goal. I'm not really going to debate you on the shit. Like, you know, yeah. more power to you. It's, like, very understandable yeah. why that would be your choice, especially if you're from L.A., you're a diehard Laker fan. Like, easy. That's your dude. 20 yeah. years, like, five rings, you know what I mean? You know, MVP, like, just everything he's done, all the game winners, and really embracing that, taking that Jordan kind of role – 
and having to be that next kind of, you know, in elevating the game. Taking from Mike, but also adding Kobe's own shit. And really, like, I saw a clip uh, from Hard Knocks randomly the other day. It was like Amari Cooper, I want to say CeeDee Lamb. And then, like, CeeDee was asking him questions. And Amari's basically just teaching him route technique, like simple shit. But just see the way the guys will pull each other under their wing. And I think Kobe always had a reputation of, like, oh, he's an asshole. But really, people that aren't around winners don't understand that winner mentality and understand, like, sometimes you have to be an asshole to get people to the level. Like, you have to have those tough conversations, tell the guy he's not putting him enough work in or tell him I'm not going to fucking pass to you because you're not at at the level. I've seen you in the, you know. Yeah. I've seen what your work ethic looks like. Right. It's not anything comparable to mine, so why would I ever trust you? And I was talking to Gilbert Arenas about this and Chris Paul recently uh, on the No Chill Gil, you know, podcast I, I do with Gil. Because even CB3 kind of has a reputation like that. And it's like, but everywhere you went, you've improved the franchise. Like, right. you had the Clippers, like, buzzing. Like, you had the Clippers getting more love. There's a point, like, there was arguments in, like, the mid, you know, 20, 2015, 2016. Like, Clippers kind of took over L.A. briefly. Not not championship-wise. Right, right. But in terms of actually being able to flex. And, you know, as a, as a former fan that. Of, that, of, the, of, the, of that squad, there was never that point. It was always just shut the fuck up. You're not going to really get into it with Lakers fans. Whatever you're going to say is always going to go back to banners. Yeah, exactly. Conversation's over. Yeah. You hang selfies, selfies, you know, they hang banners. like So, you know, just seeing all that. But I've always been a LeBron guy personally just because I, I rock with LeBron to see the way he's coming in the league, dealt with all the bullshit, really had to deal with the social media age and – you know, you want to talk about trolls and just ridiculous shit because LeBron looks at his shit and LeBron's a, you know, he's a, he's like any human being. He has some sensitivity to him. So imagine just every time you tweet, you just open the school and it's like a hundred fuck yous, you're a fraud. Like, you know, yeah. this, that, whatever, just every name under the sun saying any anything they want. A guy like Skip Bayless who constantly just Dick rides. Made, made $8 million a year ultimately, honestly, just trolling LeBron. Like, it's it's like, hey, what's, what's, your, what's your, like, your greatest skill? I control the fuck out of LeBron. Yeah. Oh, he just... Oh, he dropped 50? Oh, how can he drop 51? <laughs> oh, how come he's not working out at 2 in the morning like me? How come he doesn't? It's like, motherfucker, you average like a point per game in, on JV. Like, Yeah, stop it. I think my thing is like, for me personally, Michael's my GOAT, but like, I am so diluted with GOAT top, like topics. I'm just yeah. like, why are we still doing this? Oh, for clicks. You, you know Curtis very yeah. well. You, you, you know the industry you work in. There's every day they wake up like, all right, how are we going to get some views today? Yeah. Some things you have to think you can wrap it around. Remember this you know, on this day. Remember this moment or whatever. Obviously, sometimes, oh, we got a Super Bowl coming up or finals. We're going to get content out of this. It just depends what it's going to be. So when it gets slow, days like this, like it'd be slow. Yeah. Off season would be slow, guys. Oh, gosh. Aaron Slow Rogers, motion. Is he gonna be a Packer? It's like, dude, like we're just coming up with like everything under the sun. Is that Prescott gonna resign? It's like, dude, come on, like, just there's, there's gotta be more to this. Because when the seasons are going, as you know, especially working somewhere like the Worldwide Leader, like when when the, those shits are going, like your head is spinning because there is so much shit going. Imagine just having to worry about 32 teams in the NFL. Now you got to worry about 30 teams in the NBA, every MLB team, every hockey team. Yeah. Every other sport, the Olympics, everything going on, you constantly have to be plugged and tapped in, and that's kind of where I got the skills that I have now. Because you realize, like, I got to watch everything. I got to know everything. I got to be able to know. Like, before this show started, you talked about a Nirvana situation. It's like, I didn't really see what happened, but I knew that that was trending today. Right. And, like, I was going to get to that at some point. For me, it wasn't just on my priority list. Like, oh, the band hasn't really existed for a while. Rest in peace, Kirk Cobain. <laughs> like, are they coming back? Because if, if they were, my timeline would have been flooded with, like, oh, Nirvana's coming back. But, yeah. so, you know, but just whatever's going on in the world, you really got to know it. And that's the thing we, we kind of always revert back to. A lot of people will get a job, and they'll think that their job is just – and I was even guilty of this when I first kind of got in the game. Job is just, oh, eight to five. It's like, nah, dog. Like, 
Like when I was the NFL Network, you got to be watching it. I would literally just watch the network. I'd watch Total Access on loop, like, but just to learn everything that was going on, make sure I knew every single thing, watch other shows. What are they doing different than what we're doing? What news is going on? Looking yes. at the local spots, like going to all the random team, team, team related, like blogs and sites and shit. And like what's the, the inner workings of stuff? Like, cause you realize like if, when you know that stuff and you're prepared and that's why I can do so well on social. Cause I literally, there's not anything I don't see that happens nowadays. Right, right. And it also, it comes out it comes out easier, like, when you, like, focus, and it's almost like the saying, like, uh, stay ready so you have to get ready. So if you're watching all these shows on loop, or you're following the blog sites, or you're even following the athletes themselves, it's, like, so much easier if someone just asks you a straight, like, off-the-cup question for you just to, like, pick up and be like, boom, I got my thoughts because I know what the fuck's going on. If pretty much any human being walked in here right now, I may need a maximum of five minutes, and I can give you at least ten to twelve talking points that we can go over. Just, just a big, like big name athlete. Yeah, yeah. Um, I do want to get to this because when I was working with you, you had your hand in the creation of a show that was on Comedy Central, Legends of Chamberlain Heights. Um, no longer exists. But I thought it was really cool because you went from like NFL producer to comedy cartoon on Comedy Central yeah. that was based loosely on like your playing days at UCLA. So how did that come about? And do you have any other like comedy projects or any other like TV series projects in the works that we should like expect? Well, Curtis, as you know, I stay busy. I do a bunch of different things, obviously, and also work behind the scenes to have a bunch of different shit cracking. Really just a matter if you can get people to, you know, buy into what you're trying to sell them, even though sometimes it's just super duper fire. Like we <laughs> talked about purple earlier. It's like super duper purple. <laughs> but, you know, it, it, you're always dependent on maybe the person buying it is a square and they don't really know how to tell the difference between like some good perp and like some Streezoid and some swag, <laughs> some swaggy P or whatever. So the, that's the game. But, um, yeah, always working on stuff. So that that show basically started happening like around like 2009. I was doing a website called Jersey Chaser with a couple buddies, Quinn Hawking and Ike Williams. Off-kilter website. We were doing a lot of the shit. And that's when you talk about like style and the way that people work now like if you go back and look at the shit i was doing 2008 2009 and look at the shit that's going on now you're going to notice a lot of similarities mm. in the way people are moving like meme culture we were doing shit back then we didn't really know what memes were we were just all right this would be funny if we put mr miyagi on this fucking photo of whatever with a funny text bubble saying some crazy shit just because it would help get people's attention and, and boost engagement but started doing jersey chaser ended up connecting with a couple guys who worked in the animation space you know, they, they initially pitched us like a show on LeBron James. We were like, ah, you know, we love LeBron, but we can't really, you know, go, you know, go as hard as we want to go with LeBron's name being attached to him. We just knew that. So they're like, all right, well, what other ideas do you have? So I basically was like, yo, we, we, we played at UCLA. We sat on the end of the bench. You know, we had these crazy conversations during games and shit. Maybe there's something there. The guy's eyes lit up. Next thing you know, we started developing the project. We brought Michael Starberry on, who's a close friend of mine and was a showrunner on, on the Colin in Black and White that we did for uh, Netflix in addition to being a uh, co-creator on Legend of Chamber Heights with myself and Quinn and uh, Brad Abelson and Mike Clements. So, you know, we, we, we started like 2009, 2010 to start building the world, building the characters. And this shit takes, we didn't pitch the show to like 2013. So everybody sees the glow up, right? They see you, you know, get to this spot. Now it's 2021 and all the shit I'm doing. I'm like, oh man, it's like, yo, this was not overnight by any stretch of the imagination. Right. Several nights, several like, you know, periods of just like being angry, frustrated, every emotion you could possibly think of. But we pitched Comedy Central 2013, sell it in the room. They just love it. We had, a, I mean, a killer team go in there and pitch it. They saw the world, really believed in us. Shout out to Ken Alterman and the rest of the crew over there. Monica, Jim, Ian, uh, Kelsey, you know, just that, that whole crew that rock with us and we're like all right we're gonna uh you know we're gonna roll with y'all so we end up getting a season like and it's funny at that point i remember um uh you know i'll tell you a quick story like 2015 ish i believe no 2015 yeah i essentially had to like you know 
at one point, like, you know, I put in my two weeks at NFL back in 2010. I'd been there full time. It was kind of like a blow to everybody. You know, and they were like, in 2010, they were like, you know, I remember, I'll never forget, one of, one of the coordinating producers came into the edit bay. His name shall remain nameless. He knows. He knows. Uh, but uh, he was like, yeah, like, you know, talk to the, the boss. Like, yo, you're, I, I put in my two weeks on Monday. They're like, talk to the boss. On, on Tuesday comes in, end of the day. Like, talk to the boss. Like, Wednesday's going to be your last day. Like, I mean, cool. What they didn't know was Tuesday, literally after I got off work that day, drove over to MTV Studios to meet the guys to go talk about Legends of Chamberlain Heights. So this oh, was wow. years before it even sold. So it really felt like an entourage type moment for me. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. oh shit. Like, okay. Like, hey, Wednesday's your last day. Peace. Yeah. Uh, I'll see you guys tomorrow. Dip out MTV Studios. Let's talk about Legends of Heights. This animated series you're going to be able to do voices on and shit. You know, and we dealt with a lot of peaks and valleys and a lot of tough roads getting Legends made. But 2013, we sell the show. Uh, you know, 2015, we finally finish a animatic for it. Comedy Central ends up greenlighting it. So show premieres in 2016, paired up with South Park. We get a second season faster than any other animated show, Comedy Central history, really any other show. Oh, wow. They came to our first table read for our first episode, a script that me and Quinn wrote uh, for season one. It was like 200, 300 people there, fucking all the heads of the studio, network, everybody. Fucking room was just jumping, all types of, I think Morris Chestnut might have been there, just legends in the building. Oh, nice legends like fucking looking around like oh and i gotta do like two voices and gotta go and like you know this is like we're basically doing kind of a, a a table read but it's a performance like we used to really like i used to dress up and fucking <laughs> i take that shit serious whatever the yeah. theme of the episode was i'm coming dressed up in something to let you know that we're not fucking around here <laughs> we're bringing the comedy and the heat this is like a game for me and i used to approach those things like that table reads were fucking hilarious yeah. but uh network loves it we got a bunch of legends a part of the project carl jones who worked on the boondock did a bunch of voices on our show erica badu who he was, he was dating at the time did the music for the show Along with Frank Ciampi, the legend. I never, you know me. I always Damn, like to give people. Dude. I like to give people that their 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 flowers. But yeah. So Comedy Central loves the table read. Second season, we're gonna give you a second season, which was great, but it was also problematic. So I think we started looking ahead. We started looking down the schedule instead of looking at what we needed to accomplish with season one. It hadn't even aired yet, gotcha. and that's ultimately kind of thrust me into social media because I started to realize like the the old traditional marketing styles were kind of getting archaic at that point. Like you know like billboards, all that type of shit. Like, you may see it, but as I always say, like, we're living a digital age, so nobody's ever going to see a billboard. And, you know, rarely am I going to see a billboard pull over and be like, all right, let me write down all the info for this. Let me set a reminder, and I'm going to watch this right now. Yeah, you're trying to get familiarity with whatever's going on, but I find that on social it's much easier because, you know me, I can come with a meme, a photo, whatever now. And if I want to hammer some other shit into your brain, I want you to really think about this movie. Like, hey, I want to, you know, whatever I'm doing. Yeah. So, all right, oh, okay, I get it, you know. So I can take basically any movie, any piece of content and show it to me. I'm like, I can make a meme for this in the next 48 hours. Something will happen that I can use it for. So that's so funny how you learned a lesson from, like, doing that show to where you are now. Like, that's the growth that I think people don't know. Yeah. It's like, even though that show may no longer, like, exist, it's still like, hey, I learned something so valuable from this that I can move on and, like, do something else with it. At the height of the show, I think I built that account to close to like 100,000 followers on Twitter using a lot of methods I'm not proud of, but it's like the show is my baby at the end of the day. I was, you know, I knew like close to 100 people were employed because of that show. I had a ton of respect for the animators, the rest of the team, directors, everybody on the staff. And it's like, look, you know, I'm going to do my hardest to make sure we can get another season. Like, because I like this life. I like <laughs> I like getting flown out to New York to go to Upfronts and hanging out with Amy Schumer and Jason Sudeikis and, oh, yeah. you know. Tim Robinson and Sam, you know, the, the legends. Oh, God. Jeez. That would be amazing. I love Jason Sudeikis. Ted Lasso, one of my favorite shows. Yeah. If you haven't watched it. Uh, but I do want to ask you about this, because you, like, did basketball, and now you're moving into that production world. 
we've we've talked about LeBron and we've seen LeBron do you know not just Space Jam but Amy Schumer Trainwreck. We saw Kevin Durant get behind a movie that was nominated for a Golden Globe uh, with Two Distant Strangers yeah. on Netflix. Won an Oscar. Shout out Trayvon and the crew. Shout out Trayvon Nicholas Mason Mir. You know, Van, the rest of the crew, everybody who was a part of that joint. Yeah. Beautiful. So do you see more and more athletes getting behind the camera? Like, not in front, maybe in front or behind or both. Well, the great thing about athletes is they have bags. They have their own bags. They have a lot of them started production companies. But it's great, but it's also fucked up. When you look at the entertainment game, a successful athlete is going to have a much better opportunity of getting an overall deal and getting a, a production company deal with a network or studio than a talented writer or creative or whatever, just because they have the built-in following. So they're a lot more appealing to a network. It's like, oh, we can we can plug in with LeBron and his 50 million, 100 million social imprint, and now we've already got a built-in marketing wing. Yeah. Where you look at it, I don't feel like it's like that on the other side. Like I know guys like Tom Brady have companies too, but if you look at the other side, a lot of people are just rewarded on their merit and what they've be be able, been able to do. Yeah. You know, a lot of the most successful white showrunners, talent, whatever, you don't even know their names. Like, you know what I'm saying? But they're making humongous bags. They don't really have heavy social imprints. And they get to more flourish off of what they can actually do. Where the athletes now are basically coming in and it's like they're used as the vessel or vehicle to bring in, all right, if I've got Steph, KD, LeBron, whatever, now I can get the top writer, top director, whatever, to come do it all under their umbrella. They're like the, they're the bait. Yeah, like yeah a, like exactly. The big fish. Yeah, exactly. To get those big fish involved where, you know, it, both sides work, and I'm not knocking either side, but I just look at it, and for me, like that side of the game, I wish there would be more improvement. There's like You look at somebody like Trayvon Free who, you know, former Hooper, so I always got a huge place in my heart for former Hoopers that come into the industry. Super talented. I track Trayvon's career with, like, Daily Show, just everything he was doing. As a Hooper, I'm like, yo, I respect this dude. Like, he, he went to Dominguez, so I knew a lot of guys. He was a little bit younger than myself, but a lot of guys he played with and things like that. But Trayvon able to go from that to literally during the pandemic writing and directing a, a masterpiece in Two Edition Strangers, you know, along with that crew. Yeah. And me seeing that kind of whole process happen. And the same thing with a guy like Matt Cherry, who's a good friend of mine. Like, Matt doing Hair Love literally starting a, a GoFundMe, a Kickstarter, whatever, to get the bread. And then people like Lin-Manuel uh, jumping on, yeah. you know, all types of huge names. And from that to Oscar to now doing all the amazing stuff he's doing. So same thing with a guy like Trayvon. So I see both sides of it. I think actors and, and the NBA guys and the league guys, they're going to continue to make that move because content is just such a huge industry. They all got great stories to tell. They're seeing the Players' Tribunes and the Uninterrupted. And the overtimes and the waves and these companies popping up and it's like well damn I could do that shit too if I just control my story and if I'm a big name athlete I'm like damn I'm friends with X, Y, or Z who are all big name we could just link up and now anything you want to do related to us like LeBron can do uninterrupted because LeBron realizes that he's a humongous entity and anything he associates his name with is going to perform because he's going to have a, a marketing promotional vehicle to get you to know it exists which is the hardest part of any you know, anything you're trying to do in life yeah. is to get people to know that that exists and now it's like I'm going to get them to commit to watch it now I'm going to get them to commit to buy some merchandise. I'm going to get them to commit to pulling up every single week to watch it, tell their friends about it. Yeah. Now buy this merchandise and promote my shit. And they're paying money to do it because they like it so much. You look at like a Ted Lasso and how that community has just been created around him. And Sudeikis and Shadow, just an amazing, talented actor and what he's been able to accomplish. Now people treat, you know, the the FC Richmond squad or whatever like it's, it's a real squad like. and that's that was my thing with social with legends I always tried to preach was like we need to treat this like it's a real world like we're gonna follow these kids journey they can have social accounts they'll engage with you Curtis if you come tweet it one of my characters accounts he's gonna tweet back in the voice of that, that whatever's going on like a cameo before a cameo Exactly. We had actually had this. We had this thing. Uh, I forget what it was called now, but we could basically they had our characters. We could do simple body movements, and I could record shit topically, and that's what really helped boost me on the social side. 
because I was like, shit, I can beat South Park like this. So I would, whatever was going on on Twitter, whatever was trending, I would record a 20 to 30 second video, add some jokes in there from one of the characters' perspectives, basically wrote in their, their voice and how they would view whatever the situation was, drop that video, and now you're getting a character from Legend of Chamberlain Heights reacting to a real moment. Uh, you know, like I remember like Ray Allen, I think there was some beef with like KG and Rondo, Ray Allen like didn't get invited oh. to a barbecue. So I dropped the video and my character's voice, you know, talking shit about it or LeVar Ball situations were going on. So I would drop videos kind of clowning everybody for coming at LeVar for being a strong black dad. Yeah. And these things would start performing because no, there were literally, I remember like Charles Oakley got into the Knicks fight. Uh, oh, God. So within, I want to say like 24 hours, I essentially, I took a scene from the show and basically like got brought it into Final Cut. Didn't know shit about how to edit animation, but knew it was framed and shit, so I could just link up like a talking mouth to to to, to match up the audio. It recorded a whole thing about the Charles Oakley fight and got it out. And then people were watching that shit like, bro, how the fuck did you do it that fast? <laughs> and I'm like, I just sat in front of a computer for seven hours. Like, and I'm not an editor. I tried to, you know, ask the powers that be, like, yo, can we get some resources to do this real quick? I think it'll be great. They're like, nah, we're not fucking with this. So like, I'll just do it myself. Yeah. Run the numbers up <laughs> and run the fucking numbers up <laughs> as usual. And, and Curtis, as they get older in life, that becomes a more problematic thing. It's like, either you're going to give me the opportunity or I'm just going to run the fucking numbers up. Either way, it's happening. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? So you might as well just give me the bag and the, the resources I need. Because if you piss me off, that's going to make me even matter. And the numbers are going to get ran up even more. And then you're going to sit there looking like an idiot. Like, oh, damn. He actually knew what he was doing. Yeah, exactly. Because somebody else is going to give me a bigger bag. And then you're going to see that. But, oh, damn. He actually knew what he, the fuck he was doing. It's Maybe we so, should have listened. Yeah, it's so funny that you said it. Because I feel like so many people in the pandemic... Like, when you go to, like, a fast food restaurant, I know this is, like, totally, like, different, but I think it's the same mentality. Fast food restaurant or whatever part-time worker, hey, like, I don't have to sit here and get paid minimum wage. I'm now pissed off that I'm stuck in this job. So I'm going to take this time when the world is shut down, learn something new, and then when you say, okay, you ready to come back to work? It's like, no, 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 we not, we not doing that. Like, no, I learned how to do a different skill. You're either going to pay me for it, I'm going to find someone else who can't. Bro, I've taken jobs that I've hated just for that simple fact to know I will not fucking be here a long time. Yeah. Look around, I'm not going to be here. It's like, uh, I think Tony Allen tells that THT story, like, man, I don't even belong here. When he was in the, uh, the G League, just yeah. busting ass, I don't even belong here. Like, I'll take jobs, I don't belong here. <laughs> so I'll be here for a little bit. What are you working on? Oh, I'm doing this, that, whatever. Oh, okay, sure. Oh, I got a show. I'm talking with Comedy Central. But, oh, okay, sure. Yeah. Oh, it got greenlit. Oh, damn, fuck. Can you read my script, dog? <laughs> uh, but you see the the reaction to where it goes, and that's my thing. Like, you know I'm saying? Like, you know, like, 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 like Diddy. I'm not, you know, I might be down for a little bit. I'm not going to stay down long. Oh, like, no. I'm under any circumstance. And I feel like some people feel like they might have gotten over or beat me. It's like, it's a battle, dog. War still raging. <laughs> and numbers are running. Numbers are running up. Uh, I do want to get to. Sorry. No, 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 no. I love it. You uh, know, I'm fiery. <laughs> you mentioned it earlier. You did work on the new Netflix show, Calling in Black and White. It premieres on Netflix in October, along with Ava DuVernay legend yeah. what was that experience like especially with you talk about like it being not a battle but a war like we've seen people who might say oh Colin Kaepernick like he lost like he's not playing the NFL yeah. but on the other hand like look at what he's doing like culturally I think Colin just and, and shout out to Ava and I literally would say her name like six times a day just to make sure I say DuVernay correctly Ooh. Ava DuVernay DuVernay Ava du yeah, but really, but I always hit the Duvernay. Duvernay. Now, would she call you out if you mispronounce it? Uh, but just uh, from a respect thing. Okay, like, okay. I don't, I don't uh, curse, I'll never find that yeah, out. Yeah, exactly. I would never know the answer to that question. <laughs> uh, you know, like, when she walks into a room, she's a UCLA Bruin, UCLA alum, but the, the way she just lights up a room, you know what I mean, as, as somebody who was, was a big fan of her before, saw all her stuff, but actually got to work with her now, see why, damn, this is why she's so successful. And like, like, you know, like I said, when you're at NFL Network, any of these spots, 
I'm always looking like who's the person I want to be like. It's like uh, um, yeah, this this beautiful black woman right here is <laughs> the person I want to be like on, on this particular campus because she's out here moving and shaking. <laughs> Whatever she says, like you know, I want to do this. Networks are like okay, yeah, which is rare in what you get in this industry. But she's like, I'm gonna do this and it's gonna hit. And, okay, let's go get it. So working with her, working with Michael Starberry, working with Colin, getting the chance to actually look Colin in the eyes and just talk to him, man. I'm a big. Ever since 2016, I was a big supporter of everything he had going on. Just I'm a fan of that type of shit, man. It's like. There was enough bullshit, the police brutality and all that stuff going on in the world to see the way that his message was constantly spun by the other side to be like, oh, he's he's shitting on. It's funny, like everything that the other side said Colin was doing, they literally do, have done in the past five years. Yes. He's shitting on the police. Didn't you guys like literally storm a Capitol and fucking like you know, police officers like have died now uh, as a result of it? Like eight months ago? He doesn't he doesn't fuck with veterans. Like, don't you guys literally treat veterans like I mean, I was literally just on San Vicente the other day, cursed by the veteran building. It's literally a row of people who serve this country that are living in tents. Yeah. I'm just saying, but do, I, I don't see anybody from the right coming through with water, with some biscuits from Popeyes. Nothing. I don't see any of that type of shit. <laughs> All their complaints like, what the fuck are these motherfuckers doing on the street? But so essentially everything that, that Colin was standing for and trying to bring awareness about, they tried to shift and say it was like, Oh no, this, that, or whatever, and then proceeded to do the exact same shit. So just to look at the hypocrisy, even now the current NFL like Colin was literally blackballed by the league like they lost a collusion lawsuit yes. and I think they settled out of court and anybody who understands how the legal system works you know what I mean like yeah L that's an Elberg yes. that's an Elgin Baylor for, for Lakers fans <laughs> uh, you're taking an Elgin um, and just to see the way that Colin was treated vilified and even still by now by some in the community and it's like he's done nothing but use this platform for good try to raise awareness try to really fucking give back and help uplift the youth uh, he's got the know your rights camp and all the different stuff he's doing and it's like, you know, just to be around him and experience him and, and be in a room breathing the same air as this man, like, I almost cried at points, like, dead serious. Like, you know me, I'm, I'm, I'm a funny guy and I, I keep the mood light, but just seeing him and knowing, like, damn, this dude literally got vilified. And you look back at Chip Kelly, who was a coach of the Niners when that stuff was going on, and, and talking about Colin in the locker room, what a great, great teammate and what a great leader he was. And really, he was like, the only issue is all you motherfuckers that are coming here, you know, trying to eat off him, which we've seen with LeVar. We see, see it continuously. LeBron. With black men and black women, and, and, and the camera starts in their face, and we'll build you up for a little bit. Uh, no, now, yeah, you did some shit that, yeah, how dare you? Right, I think it's like two things. One, like when you look at Colin, it's like he got the whole idea of taking a knee from a former veteran, exactly. And, a lawyer. and then yeah. number two, when we put these cameras in your face and say, like, do something that's more than just athletes, like tell us about your social stance, or like tell us about this, tell us about that, and it gets too much and it gets like overwhelming. I say, like, hey, like, I need a break, I need yeah. to step away. Then you call me weak if I'm Naomi Osaka. You call me weak if I'm someone yeah. vile. You call me a quitter. But you're doing that from a distance with your Twitter fingers. And, like, you would never say it to my face. Like, watching Simone Biles vault and beam and all that shit, it's not really shit. I'm for exercising, how high she's getting, the things she's doing. I'm not really saying shit to her. Yes, exactly. Because I can't do near, near not one of those tumble stunts. And I can get you a little dance move. I can get you, I can get you in between, one of those little in-betweens before they do the big, the big, the big joints. But, um... Yeah, man, it's just it's 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 really it's really sad. And you look at even nowadays, like Colin basically lost his career for for standing up for what he believed in. And we have people now that won't, won't even go get vaccinated to try and help out a Ron Rivera, or try and help out somebody else who may not be. It's like, well, tough shit. You shouldn't. It's like, bro, you know how many people have comorbidities? Comorbidities in in America is fucking like substantial. Yeah. So this notion that you can't do something to simply help somebody out because it might inconvenience you just a little. And we talked about this earlier in the show. 
It's like when you're working in a team, whether you're at work or you're in the world, right, if we can all just help each other out a little bit, just a little bit, everybody doesn't have to be an arrogant, selfish asshole all the time. There's times when you should be selfish about what you're getting, whatever, but not all the time, man. You can, you can, you can, you can do good, and that's what I try to do with the stuff that I'm doing, even, whether it's humor or whatever. I don't really like going at guys anymore as I've started to, like, these guys are following me and I get to know them, and like, yeah. damn, you're actually, like, really good dudes. But I will use comedy and humor to have some type of message behind it. A lot of times people might not grasp it, but the things I talk about and don't talk about are very deliberate and specific, and I know what I'm doing, you know what I mean, in terms of the strategy of that. I always look at it like I come from a place of like, like when I went to school and I learned about radio, television, and journalism, and the number one rule is just objectivity. Like I love that so much because when you're in sports and you get to meet these athletes, your whole perspective changes. And I think you need to go into the mindset, not just you, but everybody needs to go into the mindset. Like these people, as lavish as their lifestyles are, they're just human beings like the rest of us. Like LeBron still has to go pick up Bronny from school. Like he's yeah. like a normal dad. And for you to be like, we're not as good as Kobe. It's like, what the hell does it have to do with this man's life outside of basketball? And how does it make you feel better to say that? Like one of my favorite movies of all time, almost famous, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman tells uh, Patrick Fugit, delivers the line. It's like, don't make friends with the man, right? But and but we you you said objectivity right that doesn't exist anymore no not at all you you work in this industry i work in this industry we see now when reports happen and movements are made there's no more there's no more sources for the most part unless it's super negative whatever there's no more sources it's coming we're telling you exactly who the source is because now that source is basically leveraging their relationship with this media figure to run their numbers up yeah and to get promotion so that other kids out there be like oh damn i want to get that hundred million contract like he just got such and such so you see this world now, and that's what media's kind of, I won't say devolved, but it's turned into. Mm. And that's why I don't take this shit serious. Because as a kid, I remember reading articles, you'd hear, like, this guy's this and this guy's that. Or you watch, like, The Last Dance, and you see, like, Scottie Pippen, like, you know why he's frustrated. Like, motherfucker making 7 for 17. You could, you could fucking rip that contract up and give me some more bread. Exactly. You can reward me for being all the money I'm bringing to you. But you're like, no, fuck you. And Mike's like, fuck you. Like, hey, like, you signed it. Like, yeah, exactly. You know, but you just see the, the world and, and what those things happen, man. So, oh, no. It's, it is what it is. Well, it's interesting because I do want to get to the actual big hoop news of the day, uh, which talks about a contract extension and talks about uh, your connection with your dad in Milwaukee. Coach Boonizer like resigns. Uh, just your quick thoughts on his extension with the Milwaukee Bucks. I mean, shout out to the Bucks. They're like they're my second favorite team in the league. Uh, always show major love to my dad who played there and now is a color commentator there. You know, he's he's at the parade, shirt off, flexing and shit. He's a sixty five <laughs> year old. You know, looking great, representing the family very well, muscularly. You know, really motivated me to hit the track a little bit harder. Um, but just the Bucks have been so so great to my family. Got us out there for game three. My dad was at game three, game four, and game six. Was at the parade. A guy like Giannis, who my dad has the most tremendous admiration and respect for, and just the, the way Giannis was coming to the league, developed his game, you know, came as an unheralded rookie, kind of like a, a project, and turned himself into a, you know, multiple-time MVP, finals MVP, defensive player of the year, uh, NBA champion, said he was going to do something. He did it. Guys rarely do that. First championship and walking with, like, 50 years, whatever that number is. Gets a piece of the Brewers. Yeah. Doing everything in that community. And the thing about Milwaukee, people from afar will shit on Milwaukee. If you actually go to Milwaukee, Milwaukee is a, a great city. It's got great people. A lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> Pfizer is one of the greatest arenas in the fucking league right now, stunting on the average arena, just to be real. <laughs> Cracking. I love cheese curds. No. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, cheese curds, and I think it's, like, spotted cow beer, which yeah. you can only buy in Milwaukee. And shout out to my cousin Antoine in Kenosha, who, like, showed me around the city. I had a great time. And there's, there is black people in Milwaukee. I'll just keep that real. <laughs> that are real ones that are about that life, like, great people. But just a, a great city, a, a great state. 
in terms of, of that situation. So to, to live there, because I heard everything about Milwaukee. I'd never been till like 2019. My dad was getting his jersey retired. And I went out with him uh, about like a month before just to kind of, you know, get a lay of the land, figure everything out. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm a pre-planner and a prepper. So, but just being out there, was like, damn, we went to like a Travis Scott concert, me and my pops at, at Pfizer. Travis had the little, uh, you know, roller coaster. I'm sure he had it at every site, but turned up, you know, the way they treat my dad, they're just like, and you go back and the people remember you. It's like, literally, I was getting jammed up, game through curse. I'm going to tell you a story quickly. <laughs> so my dad and my brother are already at the, the arena. They sent me the ticket. I pull up a little late. I'm, get, I'm trying to get into the Jockey Club, which is this great venue that stretches literally across, like, the, the, the 200 level, but, like, in a horseshoe shape. But free beer, free big shrimps, everything you can think Whoa. of. Delicious, delectable shrimps. <laughs> the delectable ones. No iodine poisoning off these shrimps. Uh, lady was, you know, wouldn't let me in. And I'm like, wait, my dad's Marcus Johnson. I hate doing that. But I was like, yeah, my dad's Marcus. She looked, she's like, you look like him. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was like, oh. <laughs> I, I, this would never happen at Staples. No, oh, no, absolutely not. Yeah. They would be like, mm, we like, don't know you. Like, Negro, please. Yeah, exactly. Uh, before we get out of here, I do want to do just a fun topic because this came on and I, I, I was expecting to see a meme from you, but I don't know if you had a chance to hear OnlyFans has dropped its ban on sexually explicit content. So my question for you is, was this common, like just was just common sense from OnlyFans? Chris, I'm not really familiar with OnlyFans and what, <laughs> what's going on in that particular world. But hypothetically, for human being that may be cognizant or aware of things, things that are going on, I think... I think it really comes to your definition. You know, you look at there's a lot of sex workers who are using OnlyFans to be able to be control free. And that industry has a lot of issues like a lot of industries does. And they're able to now use this platform. And th every platform has their issues. So I've seen, you know, conflicting reports of that experience and what it's like. But for the most part, they can control the content they put up, how they put it up. They don't have to do a lot of shit that they might have previously had to done that's super shady and very questionable. Some points illegal. Uh, so I think anything, you just have to look at it and people, if, if they're, if they're maintaining their health, doing the things that, that are necessary to be done and they can now become successful doing this, you, you're looking at a lot of men and women who are now making super thriving careers and tons of bags off doing this situation. I, I don't think I could ever be on there doing dick hel helicopters, but <laughs> you know, you just know, times get tough. And, but if I did, I'd be, I'd make a billion dollars. So that would be, that would be like the benefit of it, but also just, the you know, it's just, uh, these are things that I, I deal with every day thinking about, but uh, but just just the way that people are, you know, you talk about the money that people are making off that platform and the ability that they're able to, to, to get the life that they want. I, I don't really have a problem with it as long as they're doing, they're healthy, they're safe about it, they're following all the protocols, necessary rules, regulations, aren't doing anything illegal. I'm, I'm definitely for people getting their bag Yo, in all conditions. I'm looking at it like, hey, this is a business. Only fans, I'm sure, looked at their numbers and were like, how much are you really making off of this? So if you're a sex worker and you have an account and you're like, I have this many fans followers, yeah. subscribers wherever they are and i'm making this much money like really like think about what you can do with that money like how are you going to invest it like into a house or into an llc or do something like something of that nature so i think it's a great opportunity yeah. just for young men women uh trans anyone under the sun who's making money and whatever they're doing on there like take this as a growth experience and like how can you move it to the next level? For sure. Uh, but hypothetically. Yeah, hypothetically, I've never been on there. I mean, I just don't see the point. I don't know what it is. That's another topic for another day. Uh, Josiah, I cannot thank you enough for coming on the show today. Greatly appreciate it. Um, before we get out of here, give the people your information of where they can follow you on Instagram and Twitter. Curtis, I feel like thank you so much for having me on. And I feel like I do this every episode. If you can't find me by now, that that's your problem. Just <laughs> hunt me down. If you enjoyed the show, Tip these guys. Give them some bread. Give them five stars. <laughs> five star review. Yes. Uh, and just be a, a quick message before I go. Uh, as I've gotten older now, uh, you know, at all points in life, we work with people that probably aren't 
the, the, the nicest to us or whatever, just try to be a good person, man. I think, uh, you know, at, at this age, I got a ton of gray hair. Encouragers, you know, back in those days, there, there was a reason for it. There was tons of grinding and, you know, stress and strain and all that good shit. But now I live like a much more peaceful, holistic life where I don't let any of that shit phase me. And I've now experienced the most successful phase of my life as a result of it. So, you know, wherever you're at currently, you know, keep thriving, keep surviving, but keep trying to build to where you want to be. And don't get complacent because ultimately every day you take off is you're, you're a day further away from getting the, the thing that you want to be doing, the bag that you want to be getting, the life that you want to be living. So... You know, keep grinding. You can follow me at King Josiah 54. That was just a long way away of just getting to that point. But <laughs> Well, we're going to try to get our numbers to your numbers, as you said, so we can start getting the bag when it comes in for us. So you can follow the show. It's the Arrows Podcast. That's T-H-E-E-R-O-S Podcast on Instagram and Twitter. You can find me on Twitter at Curtis Sheehan. And on Instagram, you can find me at Chillin' with Curtis. That's Chillin' with no G. Greatly appreciate you once again for coming on the show. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta unify the handles so that you're just across. You're the same across as best you can. Really, and only like a KD can be like KD Trey Five on Twitter, and then like Easy Money Sniper on Instagram. Like, oh damn, I didn't even think about that. But because you don't miss KD, so you're you're gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna find you. Yo, I love see just always giving out free lessons. But we appreciate you for coming on. Thank you guys for listening. Make sure to share, follow us on everything, and we'll see you guys next time. And in the meantime, get a fucking vaccine. Bienvenuti. <laughs>